Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The opinions, language, and discussion expressed in Disability After Dark may be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 14 of Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. As you guys know, my name is Andrew Gerza. I will be your host. And let's dive right into the show and let's dig deeper into sex and disability. I got an email the other day from somebody who has been following the podcast all the way in Australia, and I was blown away getting this this email because it really touched me. It really made me feel warm and tingly inside in a really sweet kind of way that I hadn't really... I, I love getting feedback about the podcast. I love hearing that it's affecting people and it's making them think and it's making them take pause and making them reframe things. And when I get to hear that, it really makes me feel good inside. And I just feel really, really happy and really, really excited. But I got a particular email that made me stop and go, wow, I really am making an impact with this. And I'm really making somebody think. And I want to share with you the email that I got. Actually, first, let me explain why I think the email is important. The email is from a mother of a, of a teenage daughter in Australia with disabilities, and she was looking for resources on how to explain sexuality and talk about sex with her daughter and give her give her advice and talk to her about it, and she wasn't finding any resources. And then she stumbled on the Disability After Dark podcast, and she, the, the, I would let her, her words speak for themselves as to why I wanted to, to read them to you, so here they are. Her name is Julie Hicks. And I had put a call out for people to write reviews of my work, and she is somebody that sent me a review, and the review was, like I said, blew me away, and here's what she said. She said, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm up to episode five, and I can't get through them quickly enough. As the parent of a 13-year-old with cerebral palsy, I've been desperately seeking real information on sex and disability, but none of it was as honest as this, was as honest and as raw as this. It's so vital for able-bodied parents to hear this stuff. Plus, the peek into your life and childhood have been such an asset to help me see things from my teen's perspective rather than my own. The insights they're providing me will help me equip me will help equip me with such so much to help my teen find her way into the world. I'm very grateful for them. Alright, so you learn that I can't read copy straight when I'm recording it, but basically she was telling me that my words, the work that I do, was giving her advice, and that just that just bowled me over. And then I thought deeper about what she's saying. She's saying she's using my words to help her teenage daughter, and I thought, you know, why don't I do an episode where I throw back to me as a teenager, and where I talk about my experiences as a young queer person with disabilities, and kind of go back throwback to my time as a queer, crippled youth. And so that's what this episode is going to be today. This episode is going to be me talking about my experiences as a young teenager. And I want to talk about it from sexuality, learning to learning about, you know, the body, 
learning about social cues as a young person, and really share with you my experience as a, as a high school kid. And I mean, we all have awkward experiences in high school, but I think there are particular experiences in high school as a disabled person, especially as a wheelchair user, that only people with disabilities understand and the disabled community get when they when you're growing up in this body that isn't normative and these experiences stay with you and they shape who you are. So I want to use my experiences and I want to really dedicate this to Julie Hicks and any other parents or young teenagers who are listening to this episode. And I want to I want to bring my experiences forward to maybe help you and just make you feel not so alone. I've entitled this episode Young, Queer, and Crippled, Andrew as a Teenager. So this is the episode where I don't necessarily shine a light on my sex life, but I shine a light on my br- on my I shine a bright light on my awkward teen years. Yay! Everybody's excited for when they have to remember those moments, but I think it's important. So along with Julie's email as part of my inspiration for this episode, I was also inspired by a recent episode of ABC's hit series, Speechless. I'm falling in love with this. Just a quick side note, I'm falling in love with this series the more and more I watch it. I have some friends who are consultants on the show, but from the minute, from the very first scene, I've fallen in love with this character. I've fallen in love with how they're portraying this young teenager with disabilities on screen. I think it's so, just so, so well done. And one of the recent episodes for, I think, their Halloween episode, or the one previous, the main character went to a Halloween party or some kind of party, and he wanted to drink, and he got wasted with his friends, which I thought was really funny, because the way they did it with the attendant care worker was hilarious. So he got drunk, and he, you know, had to go home and, and be told by the attendant, or through the attendant, that he was wasted, and he tried to, like, hide it from his parents, the way all teenagers do, and I just thought it was really kind of, it made me think about how much I wanted to get drunk at a party with a bunch of teenagers when I was, when I was younger. I never really got to do that. That was never really something I got to do, but it was always something that I really was, was really wishing would happen to me. I wanted to get drunk. I wanted to be reckless. I wanted to be stupid. I wanted to have sex at 16. I wanted all these things to happen to me that never really did. Um, and so that scene in Speechless kind of made me want to do an episode where I talk about my youth and where we all, I also want to talk about at some point in this episode, what we, what we need to do more for youth with disabilities. And I want to talk about why that's so, so important. So let's go back to Andrew in high school. So I want you all to close your eyes just for a minute and go back to the year 1998. I want to talk to you about what was happening in the year 1998 in terms of pop culture. So it was 1998. Titanic, Godzilla, and Armageddon were on at the box office. They were the big hits of the time. You all remember Ben Affleck and the Animal Crackers and how much all of us secretly wish we were doing that with him? I know it's true. For those of you who don't remember that year or are too young to remember that year, that makes me feel super old. But you should know that the Spice Girls were at the height of their popularity. I don't know how many times I belted them out. And Friends was all about Ross and Rachel for the very first time, before the Netflix binges. For me, I was just turning 14, and I had just entered my first year of high school. 
I was this awkward, shy kid. I remember being so awkward. I had long, not long, but shaggy, like, hockey hair. I was in a seafoam wheelchair, and I was ready to take on the world. I was so, so excited for high school. I was the most excited that I'd ever been. It was my opportunity to make friends, real friends that I could actually connect with and have lifelong friendships with. Really, though, truthfully, the little queer cripple in me was all excited about the possibility of making out with boys. All the boys. And yeah, that excitement really hasn't faltered very much. I wanted to dive right into all of it. I was so, so ready for all these experiences that I had seen in pop culture. I wanted everything to be like I had seen in the movies. Because remember, that was a period of time where there was all these high school movies coming out and all these, like, coming-of-age teen dramas happening. And I really wanted, I was ready for some of that to be my experience. I realized pretty quickly that my desire to fit into this world of the team with disabilities wasn't quite working out like what I had seen in the movies. I wasn't really making the friends that I had wanted to. I wasn't really going to the parties like I wanted to. I wasn't turning from the ugly duckling and the boy in the chair to this really popular kid like I planned. The kids I went to school with just didn't get it, even if they tried really hard. I remember how the kids would try really hard to engage me with stuff and talk with me about stuff, and they would be friendly, but I never really felt like they were my friends. I was, a four I was 14 and I was a wheelchair user. That meant that I was automatically othered by my classmates. I was given an EA, which is an educational assistant, kind of like the one that the main character of Speechless has in the ABC series. He was really cool and we were friends. We became really, really good friends, actually, over the years. But initially, I was like, oh no, you've given me this adult person that's going to be tied to me for the next four years of this adventure, and I don't want this person with me. I want to have my time to be with my friends. And it initially was really hard for me to have to have somebody tied to me in this environment. When I was a younger preteen and kind of in elementary school and grade school, that didn't bother me so much because it just was part of my experience. But when I turned 14 and I wanted to be cool and being cool was like the coolest thing ever, having a grown man attached to you that would go with you everywhere wasn't cool in the least. I hated it initially. I'm really happy now that this person and I, we became friends and we still talk every now and then, but initially I, it wasn't what I wanted. I have a lot more I want to say about being young, queer, and crippled, but first, I want to play some ads, and we'll be right back here on Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. Hi, my name is Michael Iantorno, and I produce AMI Audio's weekly panel discussion show, Open Dialogue. I also listen to Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. Do you want to keep the conversation lit around sex and disability? Want to spark a conversation about something you heard on the show? Feel like shining some light on an issue that I haven't even thought of? You can do all that and get the inside scoop on what happens in my brain after dark by following me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. That's A-N-D-R-E-W-G-U-R-Z-A. And be sure to use the hashtag DisabilityAfterDark all over your social media so we can shine light on sex and disability together. 
So, in many ways, I was none too pleased about having an educational assistant at my side all the time. They were with me from the time I got to school. He went with me to every class, helped me in the bathroom, even helped me do homework at times. He was really, the more I looked back on him, he was a great guy, but I was just, having him there with me wasn't wasn't really what I was wanted at the time. The, the kids tended to avoid me because he was with me. They would talk to me when they had to for class and stuff, for assignments and things, but I never really felt those deep friendships like I wanted, and I was always disappointed that I would try really hard to get those friendships and fight for those friendships and make those friendships happen and push them along as best I could. And when they didn't have it for me as a young kid, I really took that disappointment to heart, and I really was very, very affected by the fact that I was trying so hard to to get in there, and I never really stopped trying. I always pushed myself forward to make people see me and to be noticed and to be to be a part of things. I never was denied those moments, and I really tried very hard to ensure that I got to to have them. But the friendships that I wanted to come from those moments with with my peers, with my classmates, never really came to fruition and that was hard for me that was really hard and I've always tried to make my mark and be popular and be seen and be noticed this need for popularity hasn't changed much but it's changed in the sense that I don't want to be cool now I want to be seen for a purpose and so young Andrew at 14 trying to make friends and trying to be seen was really I guess I was growing into my activism a little bit whether I realized it or not. I mean, I felt gypped out of so many things as a teenager. I felt like I wasn't able to do all the things that you're supposed to do as a teenager. I never got to have a first kiss as a teenager. I never got to go on dates as a teenager. I never really got to go to parties as a teenager. I never really got to make horribly bad decisions as a teenager. I was much too busy as a young kid dealing with things around my OTs and PTs and doctors and I was too busy at 16, 15 having spinal surgery and I think that's a story that I want to share. At around 16 I had to go in for spinal fusion surgery. My PT and my family and everybody had been noticing that because of my severe scoliosis I was unable to sit up on my own and I was starting to become almost unable to do a lot of things because I wasn't able to sit up and they had told me that if I didn't get the surgery now, at this age, I would probably end up growing older and not living very long because my windpipe, my spine would crush my, would crush my windpipe. At 16, when all you want to do is be making out with boys and be a teenager, hearing that you have to go in for the surgery, this really big, horrible surgery, at such a young age, is terrifying. I was terrified. I read, I read all this stuff on the internet, which at, the, at that time was kind of new, and, and exciting, and so I read all the stuff on the internet about how, you know, they had to break my spine, and all these things that were incorrect, but I freaked myself out enough to the point where I didn't want to even do the surgery, but I decided that it was the responsible thing to do, and that I should have the surgery, because I didn't want to die. So, I had the surgery, and I remember after the surgery, I was in weeks of intensive care and getting fixed, and I developed some medical complications where I got infected. The, the, the incision where they made the surgery got infected, and I was one of the 
people who had to deal with this infection. So I went home for a few weeks. The doctor said, listen, don't worry. The infection will go down. We'll give you some antibiotics and the infection will be okay on its own. Don't worry. My family and I left the hospital with me. I went back home and I started just recovering. And I remember that I started going back to school and I started um, I started kind of doing things with, with schooling again. And I there was a dance coming up. It was around this time, around the, the middle of October, the end of October, around about, about, I want to say, 16 years, 16, 17 years ago. And I, there was a dance that I really wanted to go to, and there was one of the cutest boys in my class that, w- that was my friend. We were just friends, but I was, of course, turning it into this big romance that it wasn't. But he was going to be at this dance, and he wanted to go with me as my buddy. I, of course, turned it into how we're going to have this big romantic moment together. We might make out. Maybe there will be... None of this was actually happening, but in my head, this was what's going to happen. On the day of the dance, my hematoma decided to burst. It burst, which meant that I had to be rushed to the hospital for emergency surgery to clean the wound. I was the most angry teenager you've ever seen in your life because I wanted so much to go to this dance and be with this boy and this fucking disability surgery was happening to me and that just, it was so, I couldn't deal with it. I was the most angry I've ever been. I was so angry. So after my first surgery, (laughs) this is a funny part of the story, after the first surgery, the nurses and the orderlies decided to, they woke me up and I was high on Demerol and all these things. And they gave me the phone. This is a bad idea. If ever, if ever you're a young disabled person and you have surgery and you're high on drugs and they give you a phone, don't make any calls. Don't do what I did. Don't. I decided to phone this guy that I had a crush on. I phoned this guy at the hospital. High out of my mind on whatever it was the doctors gave me. And I said, hey, it's Andrew. I think I love you. And the poor guy, remember, the guy is 16, 17. He doesn't know what to think. He doesn't know what to say. But I told the guy in my high state that I loved him. And I was so excited that maybe he would say it back. Of course, he didn't. He just said, oh, that's cool. Like, thanks, man. Great. Um... And then he hung up the phone, and we our friendship slowly dissipated after that, of course. But I was really hoping he would say it back, and I was really angry that I couldn't be there. So I wanted to, I wanted to create that fantasy and tell him how I felt. Um, and he just, our friendship kind of slowly ended after that. But I was pining in so many ways for these things to happen, and I was upset that I had to deal with things like surgeries and physical therapy and home care and dealing with attendant care and I I felt like I had to grow up really really fast as a young person and that was hard for me because I understood that I had to I knew it was important and it was directly linked to my independence so I wanted the I wanted to grow up in many ways but I didn't necessarily want to go that way I didn't want to deal with a body that wasn't working I wanted to just be a young kid enjoying the the fruits of being a teenager, and that never really came to me. I had to be much more responsible than the average kid, and that was that was something that really made me angry.
really, really pissed me off. When I did have the opportunity to go to the dances and go to the parties and do these things that were, they were never the cool off-site parties that kids decided for themselves. They were always the ones that the school put on for us because many of the kid parties that all my peers were going to, I couldn't physically access. So it was never like, let's go to my house and have a party. It was like, oh, Andrew, there's a, there's a thing. So I would always make myself go to these school-funded events, and I would go to them as a teenager, and I would want to go. I would be really excited to go. But as the day got closer and as the event got closer, the fear of being different and being disabled and being um, in the way, all these fears as a young kid would come to me. And I remember I never talked to my parents about it. I would just kind of let it sit inside and never really tell them how I was feeling about it because I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be uncool about it. So I never really talked about it. Um, I would always hope that the, at these events that the sexy lacrosse player would go on a date with me, that we'd make out all these fantasies I had in my head. I'd want them to play out. And that fantasy part of me has kind of bled into my experience in the queer community. I have all these fantasies about what I want because I've never had it before. I've had all these fantasies in my head as a young kid about what I was looking for, what I was hoping for, and what I really wanted. I remember one year there was this party thrown by this really popular girl in our school, and I was so excited to go. It was an off-site party. It was at her place, and I wanted to go so badly, and I don't think that she thought about me until... She had heard talk from the other kids about how I wanted to go. So she, re- I remember she reluctantly invited me to this party, but I thought it was like the greatest thing that ever happened. Here was my chance to be in with the popular crowd, and I really, really wanted to um, be at this party. And so it was at her place, and her place was, we lived in a small town, but it was in the kind of hoity-toity area of the small town where all the kind of rich white kids partied. And so I was so excited to be there. And so I I accepted and I went to this party. And halfway through the party, she realized that her space was not accessible for me. And so the kids were hanging out in this inaccessible space and not really coming down to talk to me because I was was not far from them, but I wasn't in, like, the cool spot and I couldn't get there. So I kind of just sat there alone at this party and I felt really... I felt gypped again because here I was at the party having the party but not actually having the party. And I was so, I remember I just broke out in tears. My dad dropped me off and then I was excited when he dropped me off. And then when I got upset, he, I called and I just said, I need, I need you to come get me right now. And he came and got me and he drove me home. And I just remember I tried really hard not to let him know that I was hurting. But I was like broken up inside about it. And I just wanted the kids to hang out with me, and I just wanted all this friendship, and I never got it. And it going to this party and being being ostracized like that without the kids even realizing it really took its toll on me. Um, but I kept all that in. I didn't let them see it. I didn't let them see that I was upset. I didn't want to be the disabled kid that wasn't cool, that couldn't handle the rejection. I wanted to be really strong about it, so I never really let on that it hurt. But I remember going home, and I just was so broken up, I didn't know what to do, because this was my big chance to be at a high school party, and I couldn't even get in.
There's a lot more coming up on this episode about my experiences of being young, queer, and crippled. But first, I'd like to play some ads, and we'll be right back here on Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. Hello, my name is Kaylee Trace, and I am a sex educator and the author of Hot, Wet, and Shaking, How I Learned to Talk About Sex. I listen to Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. Hey guys, Andrew here. So if you like what you hear on the podcast, if you've read one of my one of my articles, if you've seen me in a presentation, I want to invite you to leave a review on my website. Let me know how I'm doing. Let me know how I can do things better. And let me know if I can shine a brighter light on sex and disability for you. Head on over to www.andrewgerza.com slash reviews and leave a review of your own. As a teenage queer cripple, I never really felt like I was getting the experience that I wanted. I never really felt like I was getting that American Pie moment, that she's all that moment, that, you know, that really coming-of-age moment that I wanted. I was, and I was trying so hard to mimic that as a young disabled teenager because that's the only frame of reference that I had. I didn't, we didn't have shows like Speechless back then that gave people with disabilities kind of put them in the forefront and talked about them and showed them in pop culture. And I didn't have any of that growing up. So what I saw on screen and what I saw in, in the media at the time made me want all these things as a young queer person with disabilities. And I remember from ninth grade on when the kids started talking about sex, I would always hear them talk about sex and I would see them make out with their boyfriends or girlfriends. I would see them have these these moments with each other, these coming-of-age moments, these growing-up moments. And I would watch those moments, and I would think, you know, okay, eventually that's going to happen for me, but I'm just not sure when, and I just don't know how, and it's not going to happen in the normal way. And that wasn't necessarily a queer thing. That was just a realization that access to these types of things, even at a young age, even as a, as a young teenager and as an adolescent, I knew that this would be different for me, and I knew that it wouldn't be the same, and I knew that it wouldn't look the same or feel the same as somebody with a disability. And I mean, it's so funny as a young kid how you just know that, you intuit that certain things for you are going to be different, they're going to look different, they're going to feel different, and you're not, and when it came to making out with, with people and having romantic relationships and having sex and all those things, I knew it would happen, I just didn't know how, and it was distressing for me that it wasn't happening at the same speed and, and with the same kind of intensity as I thought it was for my peers. I remember I would get so, so jealous of the other kids when they would be with their partners and making out or going going to each other's houses or holding hands in the hallway or things that would happen in school. And because I was the disabled kid in the chair that was quietly walking around all the time with my educational assistant, I saw all these things unfolding. And the kids may not have realized that I was seeing it, but I was watching them have their experiences kind of really hoping and pining for mine. And it was a really strange period because, again, I knew it was going to happen for me. I just wanted it to happen right then. I wanted it to be immediate. I wanted the immediate gratification of making out with a boy. I wanted the immediate gratification of going on a date with somebody. I wanted the immediate gratification that I was seeing happen all around me with all the hormones that was occurring around me. I was annoyed that it wasn't happening for me immediately. And I wanted that immediacy. And that's something... That's a feeling that I have often still, even now, as a young, as a young, young-ish queer person, 
with disabilities 32, I still feel that way sometimes. Like I'm watching all these things happen within my community, but they're not really happening to me. Does anybody else feel like that? Not only would I see this stuff happening, and I'd see it when I was, you know, heading to classes or in class with certain people, I would see them get all romantical with one another, and I would see all these things start to bloom. I'd also hear them talk about how they were having sex and how, you know, I, I was often in many, many gym classes where I'd hear stuff or I'd walk past some guys talking and I'd hear stuff. And I would just wish that I could experience that. I wanted it. I was so, so wanting it. And I wanted, I kept wishing that that were, was me and it just wasn't materializing. And as a young disabled kid, when that's happening to you and you are seeing all the stuff occur around you but not to you, that takes its toll. And that means that your desire is so much stronger. I talked in an earlier episode about sex drive. When you're hearing all this stuff is happening and you're hearing your friends have these experiences, my desire to be included and my desire to be part of these conversations in real time was very, very strong and very, very real. And so it, it made it that much harder for me to know this was happening and to know these things should be happening. And I always felt like it was a marker for me being 16 17 was a marker for me to hit some sort of normalcy as a person with disabilities where okay I'm 16 17 I should be doing this now I should be doing this this is the normal progression of like teenagehood why aren't I doing that why isn't it happening all right so from those experiences that I share with you that little throwback glimpse into my life as a young queer cripple at 14 15 16 17 um I want to kind of give some advice to young, the young disabled teens listening to this and let them know that it's okay to be a bit off. It's okay to be a bit weird. You don't have to fit in necessarily. And these things are going to happen to you. These, these exclusionary things where you, you, won't, you won't be invited to a party or if you are invited, it, you won't be able to get in. There will be a lot of accessibility issues that will come your way that as a young, as a young disabled person, whether you're queer or not, You'll feel like, this sucks, I want to be included, I want this to be part of my experience. And if it doesn't happen, it's okay. And I, I would recommend that you just you, you work on being yourself, work on enjoying the moments you have, and, and work on what you want to work on. Don't let, don't let this, uh, this desire to be cool sway you in any way. Because I, I let my desire to be cool just really make me wish I was doing things that I probably would, wish I wasn't doing realistically. So just enjoy what it is you're doing, enjoy your time, and just be yourself. And I know it sounds so cliche, but it's true. Just be yourself and and try to embrace the disability. Don't ever let the disability be something that you don't see or that you don't want to have a part of your experience. We need to teach young disabled people that their disability is a part of them. We need to make it part of their culture, part of their experience part of their youth, so that it becomes okay. So if you're a young, disabled person listening to this, I would just say embrace your disability. Embrace all of it and be okay with that. There, there, now, there are going to be days that are hard. There are going to be days that are not fun, but that's part of the experience, and that's okay. To any parents listening to young people with disabilities, so Julie Hicks, if you're listening to this episode, and I hope you are, I want you to know that you can guide her as best you can 
And I'm glad that this podcast will give you some frame of reference, but you have to let her struggle on her own and come in to disability and that experience on her own. And you have to let things happen to her. You can't protect her all the time. And so um, you can definitely talk with her about it. And please keep the conversation going and let the conversation be free form. But be aware that you're going to have to let her try at some point. And it's okay for her to stumble a bit. And for any other parents listening, it's okay for your disabled kid to stumble a bit. And you don't have to have all the answers because there are so few answers. But I think if you just listen to your disabled kid and let them talk to you and let them feel like they have a place where they can express frustration around their disability, don't tell them to overcome it. Don't tell them to rise above. Don't tell them that they're normal. Just let them feel it some days. And then I think you'll be able to have a much stronger relationship with your child. And when it comes to things like sex and disability, you'll be able to have a more open conversation when that stuff does arise. There needs to be a talk for parents in how to engage in sex and disability talks. There needs to be a talk that is run by disabled people on how to engage with your child about sex and disability. Um, and there, there's, not, there's not enough of that because I don't think the parents know what to do. I don't think the parents, a lot of parents of disabled kids come to it with a level of ignorance as well and, and need to learn and need a level of understanding that can be, be given to them by the disabled community. So, I mean, that's a workshop that I could work on if any other people with disabilities want to work on a workshop with parents, for parents of young teens with disabilities. I'd love to put that in, in practice. If anybody's listening who wants to put that together, get in touch with me. Let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. But there needs to be more of that. There needs to be uh, better sex ed options for young teens with disabilities that show people with disabilities in their wheelchairs getting erections, getting boners, all the stuff you learned in health class, basically is what I'm saying, need to be portrayed from a disabled perspective. We're not doing enough of that. Any educators who are listening who want advice on how to make their classrooms more inclusive, put Johnny in a wheelchair when he gets a boner. Put Sally in a wheelchair when she starts menstruating. You know, do these things to show that disability is a part of it and to give these young teens a place where they can see themselves and scenarios where they see themselves doing this so that they don't feel so out of place. When I had health class, I never saw myself. I never saw the queer, crippled kid getting a boner for the lacrosse player. I never saw myself. So we have an opportunity now to show these kids who are in health class, whether they're living with visible, visible disabilities in a wheelchair like me, or invisible disabilities, or mental health things. Whether they're, whatever they're dealing with, they need to be represented. And I think that sex ed is not doing enough. So, on that note, if anybody wants to hire me to do a sex ed class for teens with disabilities, I'd love to do that as well. Be in touch with me then for sure. Shameless plug, I don't care. Doing it. One of the last things I'll suggest we need for young teens with disabilities when talking about sexuality parties, um, socialization of young people with disabilities, is I think, you know how in schools now we have gay-straight alliances, and we have teenagers talking about gay-straight alliances and gender equality and all these things, which I think is amazing. I think it's so important, and I think these are great starts to talk about diversity in the classroom. 
one of the things I, I would like to see, and what I've labeled it here in my notes, is a crippled able alliance. What if we had a bunch of teens with disabilities and a bunch of teens without disabilities come together and talk about disability openly? I think we need more of that. I think we need to facilitate conversations like that. Instead of segregating our teenagers and putting them with educational assistance only, I think they need a space where they can, where disabled teens can come with able-bodied teens and voice all of their fears and all their frustrations. So you can hear the able-bodied teenagers say, this scares me, I'm not sure how to navigate this. And you can hear the disabled teenagers say, you know what, this scares me too. I'm not sure how to navigate this. Here's how my disability impacts me. All that stuff. That, I think, would help a lot of teenagers with disabilities and their peers become more integrated properly in the classroom and make high school a less daunting place for teens with disabilities and those who they interact with. I hope you enjoyed this throwback edition of Disability After Dark. Thanks for listening, guys. Just before we close today, I want to do a shameless plug. I want to let you know about my Patreon page for the podcast. I produce Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability, completely independently. I do so here in my home studio in Toronto with one earbud mic and my laptop and some Audacity software that I use. That's about it. That's literally the extent of my production value. Um, I edit everything myself, which is not very a lot of editing, but I do edit it a little bit. I work really hard on it, producing episodes, getting guests, finding guests, coming up with new topics. I spend hours doing episodes and putting them together so they sound really nice, and I really am learning hard on how to make it sound even better. And I want to work on getting some new equipment, and I want to work on making the podcast monetized so that I can continue the conversation around sex and disability. This is not for me to get rich. This is not for me asking for money to become a star. This is finding ways to continue this conversation. So if you like the work that I do and if you like what you hear on this podcast, please head over to my website, andrewgerza.com. Head over to the Disability After Dark page and underneath every podcast, you can see the Join Me on Patreon button. Please click that button if you're able to donate. Whatever money you can spend a month to help make this podcast grow would be greatly appreciated from five bucks, ten bucks, two bucks, whatever you can do would really help me out and make the conversation around sex and disability shine even brighter. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. Copyright notice. The Disability After Dark podcast, including title, graphic, Content, interview recordings, and title music produced and recorded by Chris Ujiuchi are property of Andrew Gerza. This podcast cannot be reproduced without permission from the owner. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability. Thank mm-hmm. you.